going to be a reading from Job, chapter 19. And uh, I'll let Fiona handle it from here. Thank you. <laughs> I think I can handle it. Okay, I'm reading from the red Bible that doesn't have the gold square around it. So Job chapter 19 is on page 369 in that Bible, and it's also up there. So you can find Job by opening the Bible up right in the middle, and you'll get Psalms, and Job is right before Psalms. So go left. Okay, so chapter 19, we're reading verses 21 to 29. I think I'll take those off. Have pity on me, my friends, have pity. For the hand of God has struck me. Why do you pursue me as God does? Will you never get enough of my flesh? Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. If you say, how will we bound him, uh, hound him, put my glasses back on, uh, since the root of the trouble lies in him, you should fear the sword yourselves, for wrath will bring punishment by the sword, and then you will know that there is judgment." And then we're going to go back over to James that we've been studying from the last couple of weeks, James chapter 5. That is on page 856, and we're reading uh, James chapter 5, verse 7 to 12. Patience in suffering. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, or you will be condemned. Amen. In the 1960s, the USA and Russia were locked in what came to be known as the space race. The USA was lagging behind, but a simple speech in 1961 turned around the USA's fortunes. President John F. Kennedy announced to the world that it was his hope that before the 60s were over, the US would put a man on the moon and return him safely. With that, the US swung into action, galvanised behind a clear goal. Of course, they had no idea what technology they'd need, nor who would go, nor how it would all happen. And John F. Kennedy didn't bother describing the fine detail. His genius was to articulate the goal, the end, and then start making, on plans, making plans on how to get there. Whether we're going to the moon 
or making dinner, whether we're planning a new housing development or just building a backyard cubby house, it's best to begin with the end in mind. If you don't know where you're going, chances are you'll end up somewhere else. And as we look at today's passage, we see that James is really calling on us to keep the end in mind. I'd encourage you to keep your Bibles open at James chapter 5 today. In fact, I'm going to jump around to quite a few verses, but I'll keep coming back to James. Having the end in mind will help us make sense of this passage, which is full of ethical direction as well. We get two images, though, of the end we are to keep in mind. The return of Jesus as Lord and the return of Jesus as judge. The two images seem to be held in balance because James keeps switching between the two, the return of the Lord and the coming of the judge. Let's take a look at the first view, Jesus as Lord, from verse 7. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm for the Lord's coming is near. Yes, this book is full of ethical instruction, but James gives us the announcement of why we should be doing it. He shows us the end we must keep in mind. We must understand the Lord's coming. What is the Lord's coming? In this passage, it's expressed as something in the future, but also something that is near or soon. James is referring to the return of Jesus, calling him Lord, just as he has all through this letter. Jesus uses the shorthand phrase, the Lord's coming. But we're going to need some more information to understand his point. We're going to take a biblical flyover of the return of the Lord. Are you ready? To make it easier, I'll put the passages up on the screen and you can do the legwork in your Bible uh, or you can keep it open in James because I'll come back there. In Matthew 24, verses 30 to 31, the Son of Man, that's Jesus speaking about himself, the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with great power and great glory and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other in this passage jesus is pointing to a day when he will return and collect his followers from earth and from heaven when's it going to happen verse 36 no one knows about the day or the hour only the Father. In Matthew 25, we see another facet of Jesus' coming. Lots of words there. It's going to have worldwide implications, though. When the Son of Man comes in glory and the angels with him, he'll sit on the throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. 
the coming Lord Jesus will assume control over all creation. Not just his followers, they'll go to one side, the unfollowers will go to the other. In 1 Thessalonians, we learn two more things. We believe that Jesus died and rose again so that we believe God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and be with the Lord forever. That's the end. The point of this passage is that when the Lord comes again to gather his followers, even the dead people will be part of that. And don't miss that first line either. We believe Jesus died and rose again. This is the central fact of our faith. Jesus' death and resurrection and his coming again. Jesus' repeated promises that he would return are backed up by the fact he promised he would die and rise again, and he did. And so we can trust that he will return, just like he said. Jesus is reliable because not even death could hold him down. And finally, in Acts chapter 1, the resurrected Jesus has just gone up into heaven and the disciples are looking up at him being hidden by the clouds, when this happens, they were looking intently into the sky when suddenly two men dressed in white, angels, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way as you've seen him go into heaven. Friends, let me put it this way. We're currently living between the two most important events in history. Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension some 2,000 years ago. And his return sometime in the future. We don't know when the Lord will return, but we know when he does, he will gather his people, including those who have died. This, friends, is the end that Jesus wants us to keep in mind. Jesus' return, or as James puts it, the Lord's coming. That is to be the why of what we do. Only when we agree on the why, the Lord's coming, does the how, the ethical living, become important. And that's why, because of the Lord's coming, James says, verse 8, you must be patient and strengthen your hearts because the Lord's coming is near. You must be patient. Have you ever struggled with patience? I have. It might be a surprise to you. My children will attest to that. Actually, they can be a patient too. Actually, we all can. You know what I get impatient for? Among other things, the taste of summer fruit. Oh, we're in the thick of it now. But come July, we're going to be impatient for it again. Well, at least I will. My sister was uh, so impatient that she once stuck passion fruits onto our backyard passion fruit vine so that we could feel like it was summer. 
I've even been conned into buying the strawberry plant from the nursery in the hope that I could speed on the coming of the summer fruit. I bought the plant at 9.30 on a Saturday morning, planted it by 9.45, added water and fertiliser by 10.10, but it's 10.30 and I still haven't got my fruit. Could it be that it's July? That's not what a good farmer would do, right? You can't rush the harvest. Verse 7 here, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit until it receives the early and the late rains. This farmer is patient. But like my strawberry plant, the farmer is only an illustration here. James is talking about much more than waiting for fruit. He's talking to people who are abused, oppressed and suffering for their faith. They've chosen to follow the Lord Jesus and it's cost them money. It's cost them friends. It's cost them even family. Even though they can almost taste the Lord's return on their minds, in their minds, they're, they're wondering whether it's worth hanging on for. James says they must stand firm. Why? Because of the end, the Lord is coming back. The earth is not in its final state now. The Lord will return and renew all things, and so we must stand firm. You'll have to choose to stand firm every day in patience. Because every day there is a choice to just give up. But what I'm putting to you is this. You will find it near impossible to make the right choice if you don't keep the end in mind that the Lord Jesus is king and he is coming back. What he says we must obey. So Jesus is returning as Lord. But James tells us more about his return. Jesus will come as judge of the world. See James chapter 5 verse 9. Do not grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. And again, in verse 12, we see judgment in view. Verse 12, let your yes be yes and your no, no, or else you will be condemned. Put aside the ethical direction here for now and note the judgment language. The main point, again, is to understand our place in history between those two events. Jesus died and rose again and rose into heaven. He is coming back as judge. The judge is coming and every part of our lives is going to be assessed. Many people are uncomfortable with the idea of Jesus coming back as judge, sure. But it's a fact the Bible makes very clear. Are you ready to do another flyover? In John chapter 5, Jesus himself says he will come, remember, the Son, that's Jesus. The Father has entrusted all judgment to the Son. In 2 Timothy, the author takes it as fact. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom... The author takes it as fact that Jesus will judge and that his judgment is linked to his coming. 
In Acts chapter 17, Paul puts it this way, For God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he appointed. Who's this man? He's given proof of this to all people by raising that man from the dead. Don't miss this. The judge is coming. It's the same guy who rose from the dead, Jesus. This is the end that we have to keep in mind as we think about how to live godly lives. Now we can consider how James says we should live. As those who believe in Jesus' return as judge, verse 9, don't grumble against each other. The grumbling in view here is grumbling against a fellow believer without any plan to help them improve. The fact that James says grumbling about each other rather than grumbling to each other suggests that this is happening behind their back. You know the kind of grumbling I'm referring to because we see it. We see it every day and we even see it in churches. It's not on. And in verse 12, let your yes be yes and your no, no. James's command here is a prohibition on anything less than the whole truth. When he talks about swearing, he's referring not to curse words, although they're condemned elsewhere too. James has in mind the foolish practice of hiding a lie behind an oath. Ah, to explain, have you ever played the game Simon Says? Good work. That is, whenever you don't use the right expression, then your words shouldn't really be taken as trustworthy. Oh, don't do what I said because I didn't say the magic formula. Well, some people do that for real and it gets even more complex. They think they only need to be truthful if they add extra words like, oh, I swear on my mother's life. That sort of thing's not new. The people of James's time were doing that as well. Uh, it's, it's not on. In fact, what both the grumbling and the foolish swearing have in common is that they're using words for less than loving truth. Using our words for less than loving truth. And truth is important. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. Jesus told us he would rise again, and he did. And in love and truth, I proclaim to you that Jesus is returning as judge. And his word is true. Our words should always be true and loving as well. Lord and judge. Lord and judge. Our passage today balances Jesus as Lord and judge by switching between both aspects of Jesus' return. In verse 10, James returns to talking about Jesus as Lord. Let's take a look. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. James has already illustrated how people must wait patiently for the coming of the Lord. But this time he's not just pointing to a single hypothetical farmer. No, James goes all out by referring to no less than the whole company of prophets in the Old Testament. 
I don't have enough slides to cover that. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, Ezekiel, and the rest, all these prophets suffered for what they knew to be God's will. If you don't think they suffered as prophets, try lying on one side for a year. That's what one of them had to do to explain God's message. Try being thrown into a pit and held there against your will. That's what one of the prophets had to go through. Going to jail, being cast out, being beaten. They all suffered terribly, but they continued to preach because they had the end in mind. But James does single one man out as an example, Job. And I think it is worth looking at him in more detail. You may not know Job or when you, if you do know anything about Job, you equate him with suffering. That's probably reasonable. Job, life was going well for Job until one day, in the space of a few days, Job lost his property, his possessions, his children, his health. Do you know what it's like to lose a loved one? Yes, Job does too. Do you know the suffering of natural disaster? Yes, Job does too. Do you know the frustration of watching your hard work come to nothing? Yes, Job knows too. And if anyone could doubt God's plan, it was Job. Yet, in the midst of his difficulty, in the depths of sadness, he utters this most ironic verse, Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written down. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth and after my skin has been destroyed yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. Uh, Job couldn't have known the full significance of what he was saying but Job has unshakable confidence that the Lord will come. Job expects a redeemer, a rescuer, who will take him from a frail, finite shell of a man and give him life to the full. Perfect him, even give him eternal life, meeting God face to face long after his flesh has been destroyed. You look at this passage and you have to ask, who is this redeemer that promises a face-to-face meeting with God? Job's redeemer is James's coming Lord. When James says in verse 12, you've heard of Job's perseverance and what the Lord finally brought about, you're tempted to think that, oh, is Job getting his prosperity back? Is he getting his family back? he getting his health back well that doesn't keep the end in mind that James is pointing to when James says see what the Lord finally brought about he has something much bigger in mind than Job's house Job's redeemer and James's illustration make most sense in the light of the coming Jesus Friends, it's good that James used this example of Job because we all share Job's problems, at least among us. 
I look around and I see that we too are racked by suffering, racked by sickness and grief, racked by uh, family problems, by work problems, by war, by disaster. We have to admit that we can't fix our situation. Even if we did have life sorted out here and now, we struggle with the human limitations we are headed for death. Who can save us from that? That rescuer is Jesus, our Redeemer, our rescuer, who is coming again to raise even the dead. Even his dead followers to new life. Friends, Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming as Lord, and when he comes, it'll be obvious. Every eye will see it. But he's also coming as judge, and that means every person is headed for a judgment. That means you too are heading towards a judgment which is coming in future. And if you are not on the side of Jesus heading for a punishment... Jesus is coming to separate the world into two groups. Those who trust him and the rest. Both types are guilty sinners deserving punishment. I know I am. Me and you both. But what does verse 12 of James tell us? It tells us the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. He is ready to forgive those who put their trust in him. So come over to his side and receive that compassion and mercy. If you come over to his sides, in Jesus' own words in John 5, 24, Whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned in the judgment. He has crossed over from death to life. This happens because Jesus died in our place and took the judgment that his followers deserve. This happens because Jesus rose from the dead on our behalf and showed his power over death for those who believe. This happens because Jesus is coming back, will return to gather his people and bring them to him. Jesus is Job's redeemer who lives. Redemption, rescue, that's what the Lord finally brought about. Because the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. But if you don't believe that the Lord is coming back, if you don't believe in the end that is Jesus' return, then you won't be on his side. It's time to decide. And so when you trust in Jesus, you are marked as his follower. So how should you live? Well, a follower must follow. And in James chapter 5, following is marked by patience, by standing firm, and by commitment to truth. Do you struggle with patience? Forgive another personal analogy, but when I was a child, our family had a calendar on the wall. It was one of those month-to-a-view calendars that had a big picture of the Harbour Bridge and then maybe our greengrocer's phone number on the 
Maybe it was our car mechanic. I used to wonder if I could get to Christmas quicker if I just advanced the pages a little bit quicker. Uh, Before our family knew it, it was March, but or was it November? And Christmas December was there, but it was still winter. That's not very patient. But look to the calendar. The calendar reminds us that there is a big date coming up at the end and we must plan how we live to meet it. Not trying to rush it, but soberly deciding each day in light of the coming date. James shows us the big date that is coming, the Lord's return, the judge standing at the door. It's taking a while, but that doesn't mean it's not coming. It's a day closer today than it was yesterday. So be patient. Keep the end in mind. Or do you struggle to stand firm? Perhaps you're being tempted to ignore the word of God uh, and instead just settle for a life that's easier. Less of a hassle. Perhaps it means cutting corners to get ahead, to get that promotion. Perhaps it means you gave up reading the Bible because you were just too busy and you're neglecting to pray Make no mistake, the pressure is on every day to reduce our reliance on God and to lose sight of the end that's coming. Maybe we've given up hope that our Lord is coming. Don't give up. Stand firm. Keep the end in mind. And are you loose with the truth? Have you cheapened your speech by making your words into lies? You've promised to help your child with their homework or promised to do something for your mum, but you stay back for that second beer or you stay online for that extra episode. Uh, You hope they'll understand. But now your family and your friends are less trusting of your words. How will they respond when you actually want to tell them something important like tell them about your faith? Or perhaps your colleagues are running down the boss or running down the new kid who's just joined the group. Do you join in? Do you change your views depending on who's present? If so, when can you be trusted to speak honestly? Friends, words are precious. God's words count. His words spoke creation into being. He takes his word seriously. Jesus says he is the truth. He takes his word seriously. If we follow him, we should take truth seriously in our speech as well because we keep the end in mind. We're talking about life decisions and I can't go through your each individual personal circumstance and make a decision on what's best for you. But one thing I will tell you that we can be sure of for all of us, the Lord is coming back. And if going to the moon gave the USA something to be focused on, then the Lord Jesus' return, how much more does it give us something to focus on? Whether we're struggling with injustice or lying or impatience, even struggling with approaching death, Jesus understands. We must ask for his help. James here is calling for us to trust that Jesus is returning and will save us from the coming judgment. 
He's calling on us to trust him, to rescue us. He's calling you. Will you trust in Jesus today? Let's pray. Father, in light of the return of Jesus as Lord and Judge, who of us could stand in your presence? Those who put our trust in Jesus to save us and to perfect us. Lord, help us to put our trust in you, not just with the end, but with the end in mind in the way we live live each day, each hour. Lord, we ask for your help to do that because we struggle. But Lord, may your spirit work in us to keep us thinking about the end and changing our lives to match. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.